Raging Asian. Raging Asian. Acha Hong Hong Nijin. Sunye the Yajo. Nagang Ali Tashano. Asia Ukra. Mangamuk Asia. Arekuru Asia Jin. Songnan Asia. Raging Asian. Raging Asian. This is episode 9 of the Community Youth Series of the Raging Asian Pod. This week has been a pretty big week for me personally with lots of changes. I recently moved to what is known um, to settlers as Toronto or in Ganyankeha, Tsikarundo. And this land is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Mississauga of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, and the Wendat peoples. There are also um, many Indigenous people from across Turtle Island who now live here, as well as Métis and Inuit peoples. And as a new recent settler here, of mixed heritage working on this podcast. I wanted to acknowledge the history and the experiences of the people who have come before us and those who we continue to share this land with as uninvited guests benefiting and taking space on this yeah. land. Okay, 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 yeah. Go right into it. Oh, I'm so excited for you to be here. I have uh, Serene Mitchell. Mm-hmm. It's your last mm-hmm. name, right? I always have this moment on the podcast, like I don't normally say people's last names, yeah. but then suddenly to like introduce someone, it's like, oh wait, I know. Am I saying this right? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Serene Mitchell. Uh, she's a a student at McGill studying history and poli sci, but we met in our uh, East Asian studies mm-hmm. class uh, on settling Asian migration. Mm-hmm in I think last winter semester mm-hmm. and um so you're working for you're doing many jobs mm-hmm. right now and like you're just telling yep. me but uh you're working for a nonprofit in Chinatown right now you're based in Vancouver yep. um but then also you'll be moving back to Montreal yep. soon very yep. soon um and you're a writer or editor for the Sticky Rice magazine too and I mean, you're working on a bunch of things, working at a cafe, mm-hmm. um, also at the Hua organization. Mm-hmm. You were one of the organizers and now you're a No. What is that? I, so oh, actually, okay. I guess yeah. like I work, f- I work with Chinatown Today, which is a nonprofit mm-hmm. in um, Vancouver's Chinatown that essentially is like a literary arts organization um, that tries to like tell stories that crosses over cultures and generations within Chinatown and I guess just as BIPOC youth oftentimes we end up being in the position of facilitator before we're even adults just because of the nature of community work and and what we do I think there's a lot demanded from us and so this opportunity came Mm -hmm. up um, and someone from Chinatown today told me about Hua Foundation which we work on and off with um, they're doing okay. uh, a youth series called Lost in Translation, which is essentially like my first time really being a participant in a series of workshops instead of leading it. And it's with other Asian youth, right. um, many of whom are like queer. Um, and we talk about, yeah, we talk about loss, um, themes of loss within the diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about writing, yeah. we talk about all sorts of things. So I'm also doing that. And it's very, very... It's cool. cool. It's 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 really refreshing yeah. to be a participant. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds really it sounds like a mm-hmm. great workshop, honestly. Um just like in my thesis writing too, and like last week's episode I was talking with a friend mm-hmm. of mine, Kondo, who's um a Tibetan Montrealer and she was talking about like um exile and, and writing like about um the Tibetan community in a way it's difficult because being born outside of like the Tibetan community, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this like yearning for the landscape and the, like the land that is like not being Mm -hmm. recognized as Tibet. And so it's difficult to like grapple with that loss, even though you were born outside of that. So Mm -hmm. as a diaspora, you know, person, so it's, I can imagine it's like, 
anyways, to have that space yeah, to talk about it's definitely this. very healing. I mean, I just feel like it goes mm-hmm. back to just the idea of, like, having BIPOC-only spaces or Asian-only spaces being, like, super needed, especially mm-hmm. as a queer mm-hmm. youth, like, need those spaces yeah. to, to breathe yeah. and to talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, so I, I don't know how much you wanted to talk about this, but you added it onto our mm-hmm. agenda for the meeting. Um, but, like, in our East Asian class, one of the last, like, whatever a presentation moments you did like you had the kind of coming mm-hmm. out moment to the class or, or you know just um and I thought that was such a powerful moment you know and I don't know I've, I've been curious like like was that the first time that you had like really done mm-hmm. that more publicly or like talked about it in a mm-hmm. group setting or I don't know yeah. how like, comfortable you are talking about that but like yeah I feel like pretty comfortable now I feel like um sticky rice Mm -hmm. has taught me so many things I feel like having queer Asian Mm -hmm. like elders as mentors or just like older uh queer Asian people in my life has shown me so much um and I Mm -hmm. truly feel like the idea of like coming out is Mm -hmm. is white (laughs) it is a white (laughs) concept like queerness is not a performance it's not Mm -hmm. something that you need to tell people queerness is like and this is something that I've always felt like from a very young age like being queer is about not just like the people that you love it's about the way that like you love yourself and the way that you talk to yourself and I think that that's like a very BIPOC oriented idea of being queer um so like I it's guess not to show it's not, yeah it's not for other people it's really yeah mm-hmm. I totally get that it's about yourself and mm-hmm. your identity and who you are as a person and how you know so mm-hmm. the coming out idea of like like because coming out is for other people right it's exactly. so that other people know but it's like if it's about you and your identity mm-hmm. you don't have to have that like display or mm-hmm. that like yeah and that's not to say that coming out isn't valid. I think that right. if that is what you want and it's important for your journey with queerness, it's super valid. But it's just mm-hmm. never been, it's never been like a pivotal thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think that most of my friends and people who know me, um, like my queerness is pretty obvious. It's just like the way that I carry myself and the way that I think about things. I don't, like I deviate from categories and normalcy whatever that means um and I just like I use a lot of thought processes that comes from like like things that have been handed down from my family Mm -hmm. and so for me I guess like even just like the way that I think um is inherently Asian and queer because of a lot of the I guess uh theories and philosophies that I've been Mm -hmm. given (laughs) through my family um, mm-hmm. And through also studying and meeting other mm-hmm. queer Asian folks or just other diasporic um, Asian mm-hmm. folks. So, yeah. It's actually funny. I don't know why this came to my mind, but I remember just when you're talking about like your family and like growing up and I don't know. Um, my one of my mom's friends, I don't know, I was a baby. I was a child. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, that child, like she's going to be a lesbian. Like, <laughs> and my mom's like okay like that's mm-hmm. I mean it's a child it's a baby child I don't know mm-hmm. you know <laughs> who mm-hmm. knows um mm-hmm. it's just funny to like read mm-hmm. it, yeah I don't know yeah maybe people are funny <laughs> I think that I think that growing up in whiteness gives us a mm-hmm. lot of uh it makes us lean towards like labels and categories mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. just to be able to understand things and right. I think that like I think something we explored a lot in our East uh, 303 class is just, like, Mm -hmm. having space for not understanding things. Like, Mm -hmm. why... I think especially, like, in... Like, as both of us being halfies, like, dealing with that identity already, (laughs) and then, like, going to McGill, which is, like, a very predominantly white space, which uses academia, oftentimes weaponizing academia and institutional Mm -hmm. power against Mm -hmm. BIPOC students is, like how do we navigate like you know our own authority and also not knowing but also creating space for not knowing when there isn't really space for that at Mm -hmm. school 
Like, yeah. there's this kind of, like, rigid understanding of, like, okay, like, you know, how did you do on this test? Like, how do you prove your knowledge? And I think yeah. that, like, in East 303, we left a lot of space for being, like, how do we how do we process things that we have been connect like disconnected and trying to reconnect to and like there's no fault in not knowing and like how can we create community space where we can educate each other and tell stories like what can we derive from things that might not be like academic or prestigious but like through storytelling and through like Mm -hmm. sharing our family stories like that is just as valuable as reading you know whatever we have to read for school and that's not to like put that down but just being like Mm -hmm. it has just as much inherent value if not more More. for for people like us (laughs) right yeah because like that's the stuff you remember you're not going to remember the textbook stuff right like Mm -hmm. whatever that you had to memorize Mm -hmm. but somehow like a story is much more like effective much more impactful like you're gonna remember that stuff you know and then learning from each other's stories and each other's communities like inter-community learning basically yeah it's like so amazing but then again like for academia it's like they can't Mm-hmm. they can't evaluate that stuff like it's mm-hmm. not within mm-hmm. their usual means so it's exactly it, it, then it like it breaks the system down mm-hmm. for sure right? like, and I feel like I see that in the work that you do because you do research about Cantonese opera and like mm-hmm. your own family history and like I I just can't believe like I remember when we were in class and we realized that our life paths have right. crossed yeah. and yeah. like, especially as a diasporic Asian person, that's not right. uncommon. But right. like in that moment I was like, holy shit. Like I had this connection with Chloe. Yeah. Like, this is so it's beautiful so and so amazing, yeah. you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So, so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, especially like when my cousin was like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, Serene, mm-hmm. like, I think you guys lived like two blocks away from yeah. each other too. Like that was also crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. 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 But yeah. yeah, I just, I thought it was really, really cool how I saw you, I guess like in my mind, I use this word not to, to label like LGBTQ plus necessarily, mm-hmm. but to use the word queer as like, deviating from normal categories yeah so like your research in Cantonese opera kind of pushing those boundaries and querying academia and asking questions that are related to your own family um like I just admire that so much and like I feel like (laughs) as diasporic Asians in academia that Mm -hmm. struggle for me at least I definitely like struggle and push boundaries with academia and institutional power um Mm -hmm. like seeing that and being like I also feel like in a way I feel connected to you through that because I was doing research about gentrification in Vancouver's Chinatown at the time. And I was just like, I was hyped because I was just like, wow, just like diasporic Asians in academia really trying to push boundaries and like write about what we actually want to write about. Exactly. Exactly. No. And it's so cool because I think also like you mentioned Vancouver's Chinatown, like, um, my sister has just recently been a part of and starting the like Montreal mm-hmm. Chinatown working group and mm-hmm. it, it's it's been a bit slower I guess like the Vancouver one's been kind of they, they've already deemed Chinatown like a heritage um, mm-hmm. site I, I think um, mm-hmm. but they're trying to do that for Montreal right mm-hmm. now and there's mm-hmm. petitions and working group mm-hmm. like uh, workshops and community organizing happening right yeah. now but it's yeah. it's just really cool to see like across Canada and like the different diaspora communities working to to keep that like history and community spirit alive. For sure. Um, yeah. Especially like young people. Yeah. yeah. I see that though. Like it's like I see it becoming more prevalent in people our age where cuz I think that yeah in some ways we've been afforded more privilege to access these histories Mm -hmm. or these communities because we are fluent in English and we grew up here and so we're not really running away from that as much I feel personally at least as much as like 
my parents or my grandparents' generation where it was, like, Mm -hmm. very fresh and very new, and it was, like, okay, how do Mm -hmm. we assimilate? And now I feel like we're trying to undo that and be, like, okay, like, I see all these Asian youth being part of the research or being part of the, you know, conservation efforts, and I'm, like, Mm -hmm. this is a new generation, and there's so many young people that are connecting all across, Mm -hmm. like, Turtle Island to be, like, we're all part of the same cause in some ways, like, that to me is like solidarity and that to me is like Mm -hmm. like asian community building like beyond like colonial definitions of like cities or borders it's like we're all trying to do the same thing yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh like wow what an amazing image i don't know (laughs) that's such a like hopeful i love it um Mm -hmm. uh so yeah you're you're, I guess you'd be considered first, um, first generation, like your parents immigrated? 1.5, I guess. Like my mom and my grandparents immigrated here, um, when my mom was like going to college and stuff. Oh, so I don't really know what that makes me, but yeah. From, From mainland China or from Taiwan. Taiwan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So my family yeah. is Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Okay. Um, which I feel like has also given me like a very mm-hmm. interesting and nuanced perspective in um, sure. like Asian community organizing, yeah. um, because I think that being from like an island, like especially an mm-hmm. island that has very complicated relationship with the mainland mm-hmm. with the CCP, like. There is a lot of solidarity between Taiwan and Tibet and Hong Kong and all these places that have very nuanced and complicated relationships with what the world kind of deems as Asian. Because in the worldview, Mm -hmm. in the Western lens, it's unfortunate, but we're all homogenized to become Chinese. When a lot of Asians are not Chinese at all. Exactly. Um, There's also South Asians, Southeast Asians, and I feel like that's a really important part of Asian community organizing that, like, Mm -hmm. groups like the Pan-Asian Collective through McGill, it kind of started at McGill, but it's beyond McGill now. It's kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. Jojage and beyond um, Mm -hmm. Turtle Island. Um, We're just trying to redefine the idea of, like, Pan-Asianism, like, when people think of Asian, how can we complicate mm-hmm. that? How can we bring nuance to that? How can we mm-hmm. um, ask more questions and interrogate ourselves um, and at, like think about what inclusivity as, as a Pan-Asian group actually means? Um, yeah. And I think that that inherently is led by people who have really complicated relationships with, you know, the identity of Asian um, yeah. especially if you come from places like Taiwan, Tibet, or Hong Kong, it's yeah. like, when we ask, you know, like, when people ask yeah. us if we're Chinese or if we're Asian, like, that is a very complicated question, like, I don't yeah. even know really how to answer that, and I feel like it's always changing. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure, and, like, like, last week, Kondo was saying, you know, she didn't really embrace the Asian, like, category or title, like, she didn't really identify as Asian, also because, um, Sometimes it's visibly like how you're perceived, but also just like, well, Tibet and China have very fraught relations and everything. Um, so trying to like actively like distance yourself from that. Yeah. But I can imagine, like, I, I don't know if your mom went through a similar thing, but like my mom, when she was, um, she went to high school in Vancouver, well, most of her schooling. And so, she was like actively trying to like assimilate and like mm-hmm. not be Asian basically, mm-hmm. you know, and like whatever she could to kind of not be identified just mm-hmm. to like fit in and like, you know, kind of survive um, yeah. and like all the microaggression and racism and whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect as well. Right. So like, I think, yeah, you go through these moments of, of like, identifying either as Asian mm-hmm. or, or and it changes I guess yeah I definitely it's think such a broad it changes category. Yeah. yeah and especially like I don't know what you feel about this like as someone who is half but like also thinking about like our fraught relationships with the identity of Asian because also of the different ways that we're perceived because as a young person as a child as a teenager as a young adult 
that really affects the way that you see yourself and the way that you Mm -hmm. see yourself in your community because for Mm -hmm. me at least like I always felt like when I was younger I didn't even know if I could identify as Asian like I didn't even Mm -hmm. know like I felt fake I felt like I couldn't like that wasn't me so what am I because when I'm in white groups or white spaces I am deemed as Asian yeah because you are like when you're around all white people you're like the token Asian (laughs) right yeah exactly. but then when you're around like Asian family or Asian community it's like you're the whitest so you're white yeah so you're kind of like well (laughs) yeah totally how how do I navigate this how it's very confusing um yeah as a child I remember sitting in like an Asian like a Chinese restaurant and then, I don't know, I, that summer, I guess I was maybe five or six years old, we would always go back to Vancouver and spend a lot of time with our grandparents uh, who speak Cantonese, but none of us speak Cantonese. So there was like a lot of language barriers always. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think my mom always tells the story, like I must've been frustrated that I couldn't like understand what everyone was talking about, but I was just like, I'm gonna marry a Chinese man so that I can learn how to speak Chinese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apparently, like, it freaked my mom out. And even my, my grandfather was like, it's, why is yeah. she talking about marriage? She's too, yeah. like, she's five years old. <laughs> yeah. But, but that it's was like this like, longing. How? Yeah. It's like, longing. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's longing to, like, belong and see yourself mm-hmm. in your family. And, like, feeling like you're constantly being (laughs) differentiated or you can't even understand the same language. Yeah, It's just, like, it reaches this point of frustration. Yeah. um, And, like, feeling super, like, isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I totally, like, relate to that sentiment, even though you're five Mm -hmm. years old. Like, you were speaking from the (laughs) heart. You were like, I want to be part of this. Yeah. I want to understand what you guys are saying, which is so fair. And, like... I also mm-hmm. feel like I have a complicated relationship with language because mm-hmm. I my English was very much predominantly like school English until I moved mm-hmm. t- to Vancouver when I was 10 years old because I grew up in Shanghai okay. and I moved okay. to Vancouver when I was 10. Oh, okay. So I was I like... I didn't even know you grew up in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Shanghai. So, okay, your parents moved Yeah. Back, or you, okay. Yeah, parents moved back. Um, grew up in Shanghai, moved to Vancouver when I was 10. So my relationship with English was very bizarre. And I felt like I didn't speak, like I didn't understand slang. I didn't like, you know, feeling like so desperately, like I wanted to speak English, like my other English friends spoke it. Um, Mm -hmm. But then like Mm -hmm. also feeling like with my grandparents, there's this gap because I do speak Mandarin because I grew up in like mainland China, but my grandparents speak mixed Mandarin and Taiwanese. Taiwanese, yeah that's the language that they communicate in and that's the Mm -hmm. language that they still predominantly communicate um Mm -hmm. to my like Mm -hmm. uncles and aunties and so it was always like on the edge of understanding I was always on the edge of understanding what was being said yeah Uh, oh I can imagine it's like you you know Mandarin but you don't know Taiwanese so it's like uh. (laughs) and they would speak in like a mixed thing so I'd pick up like every other word okay um so yeah I totally understand that like frustration and the funniest thing about my Taiwanese grandparents um is that no matter how many times I would tell them like like I don't speak I don't speak Taiwanese like they would be like okay and then they would keep speaking in Taiwanese because they at that point they don't I feel like they don't even know what they're speaking Mm -hmm. as Taiwanese Amanda because they're so used to going back and forth Right. So, yeah, I totally, also, I yeah, totally like, get that. I learned that phrase in Cantonese. Like, I speak very little Cantonese. Like, I had to learn that phrase. But then yeah. the moment you say that, people are like, oh, so you know Cantonese. And it's like, no, yeah. I'm trying to mm-hmm. say that I know no Cantonese. Yeah, <laughs> But just because totally. you said that in Cantonese, it's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely like... I feel like as a diasporic Asian, like, connection with language is so fraught and so nuanced. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Because I do speak fluent Mandarin, and I think that, mm-hmm. again, going back to, like, being perceived and mm-hmm. not knowing where you fit in, claiming Asian, like, I feel yeah. like um, when I speak Mandarin, 
a lot of people get shook. Like a lot of people get okay. really freaked right. out and they're like, what the <laughs> hell? What is this white person doing speaking fluent Mandarin oh, no. with no accent? And I'm just mm-hmm. like here being like, I'm not like Guaylo. Like I'm yeah. fucking, like I, I'm Chinese I mean, too. Like yeah. I'm Taiwanese, Chinese, yeah. however you want to say it. Like, yeah. and they're like, no, you're not. Like you have brown hair. And I'm like, I'm Taiwanese and they just don't get it like people like especially elders it's so funny they would stare at me and be like yeah how is this girl saying she's Taiwanese like so confused and it's like right yeah it's 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 funny and like the only thing you can do is like be comedic to like deal with these really awkward weird situations (laughs) yeah um but yeah I I would love to hear like how you had like how you grappled with the idea of being like happy and like being perceived differently because I feel oh, yeah. like different people see Asian and see mm-hmm. white and then you're constantly yeah like... <laughs> yeah like well I also had the added thing of like the francophone culture mm. as well in Quebec is like oh, so huge God. so it's like not only am I not like white enough or like I'm I'm also not like I'm not Quebecois, but like I was born in Quebec. I was born in Montreal. I speak French. I speak very fluently, you know, like grew up with French culture, like grew up Mm -hmm. with French slang, you know, but Mm -hmm. then it's like, if you're not like, I don't know how many generations of like French, you know, they have this like pure laine. That's like Mm -hmm. the base like literally like pure wool like that's Mm -hmm. that's what pierlen means in french and it's um that you're like francophone or quebec born generation Mm -hmm. so they also Mm -hmm. like in in a similar way to like immigrants like in Mm -hmm. first and second generation Mm -hmm. but so you're like not quebecois enough yeah no Mm -hmm. exactly uh, mm-hmm. Especially because, like, my dad's side, the white side, they're from Saskatchewan, and mm-hmm. so like they're Anglophone. Even though mm-hmm. I have like a French last name, like it's spelled French. Mm-hmm. There was some French, but like so anyway. So there was that extra like thing also to navigate. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in Montreal, so luckily it's like m- more Anglophone than mm-hmm. most areas and more diverse too. But yeah. Um, still like kind of you would still encounter it every once in a while like any moment you go up north you know or like mm-hmm. <laughs> um there's this kind of double shock of like well first of all I look Asian so mm-hmm. I'm perceived as Asian but then um but you're also Anglophone Anglophone exactly but then you're so also the dumpy French like, but, but you're I not Francophone French. enough exactly, exactly oh gosh so it's yeah <laughs> you know um yeah yeah, it's interesting. I would say right now, maybe because I'm in Toronto now, but like mm-hmm. I've really noticed the Anglophone. Like I miss the Franco just speaking French. Like I, I forgot. Like my instinct is to like go into a store and immediately start speaking French, you know, or like, but like I'm in Toronto now and everyone speaks English. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, not used to it. I've been listening yeah. to lots of French music just because, I don't yeah. know, I guess I'm, like, missing the French culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, if that's not proof of how, like, I am Quebecois, like, I am Francophone, you know, mm-hmm. I do um, mm-hmm. I do identify with French culture, too. Like, I grew up in For it. For sure. But, that totally um, makes sense. Do you feel yeah. like... Um, being perceived as Asian or not Asian is distinctly different in Anglophone culture than versus in Francophone culture? I think it is. Yeah, I was talking about this with Kondo because she was also from um, Quebec, Montreal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. She's got Francophone parents. Or, like, her mom is Francophone. Yes. And her I, right, because her, her younger sister um, is yeah. in PAC and has told us about... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, is the pan-asian collective yes. but yeah <laughs> um so i do think like there's this strange thing it i don't know like francophone there's a lot of like very progressive diverse like francophone community like especially in my land or like different areas you go to there is still like 
I don't know if it's sometimes language barriers, but you know, there's mm-hmm. certain terms and certain things that like just still seem kind of dated to me that like when you speak French, like those are the only terms there are, let's say, I don't know, like, like, okay, I remember in history class, I had to do it in French and it was like, like the West or the East they still use like the Occident and the Orient. So mm. if you're talking about like Asia, they talk about like l'Orient, like Orient, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's so just like- kind of like, oof. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, like what century are we in anymore? Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, but you know, yes. But like, why not use like Asie or I don't know. Yeah. They- Less to west, like you could use east and west instead. I don't know. It's so it's like a, a strange thing, um, mm-hmm. and like sometimes, like Kondo was really talking about how, like the racism and and mm-hmm. sometimes how it's like couched in this like ignorance or this mm-hmm. like seemingly like um like a false pretense of diversity mm-hmm. or like inclusion, but like the more the deeper you go, like not really you know yeah <laughs> um, yeah I feel like it's which is also fair of anglophone but yeah it's super complicated in Quebec too because like there's also the like we're a minority too and like yeah exactly we're yeah. also like you and then like yeah. BIPOC are like no we're not the same <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like you're still white like yeah you're, you're still white like yeah you know. at the end of the day you're white so you're not really like yes yeah. um like, yeah some people from sticky yeah. rice were saying that just being like i think that it can be difficult mm-hmm. in francophone spaces because there's this like rush to be like mm-hmm. we are also marginalized which solidarity you know yeah like, like we're good. oppressed and then like in yeah. anglophone spaces i don't think there is as much nuance for that because it's kind of like yeah. you kind of have to admit that you're a colonizer <laughs> like right. you yeah, speak you English can't. you're the white English you're the majority yeah, yeah. you, you can't, can't really pull that any kind of minority like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so yeah, that's yeah. interesting too but yeah I think that mm-hmm. especially as a half you just going back to that bit like mm-hmm. from child to adult you experience yeah. so much up and down with like mm-hmm. Asian identity and like in different spaces like in high school yeah. like I feel like most people just categorize me as white but then Mm -hmm. as soon as I got to McGill I was like Mm -hmm. the experience was so different like I was just like people were constantly asking me where I was from and I was so not used to that yeah yeah, yeah. so then it's like what the heck I guess because it's more international but at the same time like there is the part like people are like it's not it's not just like um innocent like like questioning either no like um yeah so it's definitely still like targeted and whatnot mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah I remember feeling that too like I no, no one really asked me like where are you from you know in high school I guess everyone assumes you're from here because you're still a child you know like mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. um yeah yeah totally yeah. it was definitely going, a huge shock yeah um yeah, I forgot to, like, introduce what PAC was or, like, right. yeah. definitely <laughs> you know, so, go like, back to that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I I wasn't sure if you helped get PAC started at McGill, mm-hmm. the Pan-Asian Collective, or mm-hmm. if you were just, like, involved and then became an executive member. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can definitely talk more about yeah. that. So PAC started fall of, I guess, 2019, um, mm-hmm. when I was actually still in Vancouver. I was doing you research at UBC um Mm -hmm. so kind of the people who started it was Chris Lau um Chris Lau kind of like I feel like birthed the idea of PAC and just being like we Mm -hmm. need a pan-Asian space we need an Asian space that is radical that is not just about socializing that is about Mm -hmm. folks who feel similarly who identify and are racialized as Asian to come together and be mm-hmm. safe together, and mm-hmm. be queer together, and be, mm-hmm. you know, just finding spaces that aren't just, like, social or party Asian spaces. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. which most of the, like, yeah. Asian clubs are at McGill, really. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting to me, because it's yeah. not always like that with other um, clubs, right. but right. 
um, they kind of started it with a few other, like, um, Asians, um, that they knew and kind of had the same yearning for that space, for those conversations, Mm -hmm. for those friends, for that community, and it kind of, Mm -hmm. they started with a few movie nights, um, and that's kind of how it first started, and then, um, when I got to Montreal, um, January of 2020, um, Chris kind of approached me, I think just like Facebook messenger through like mutual friends Mm -hmm. hearing about me being like, Hey, I heard that you're into this type of idea. And at that point, PAC was literally just like a handful of friends just having Mm -hmm. movie nights. (laughs) Um, do you want to maybe come to meetings and like figure out what meetings will even look like? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. Like, I want to come meet all of you you all seem great and exactly like what I've been trying to manifest for the past two and a half years going to McGill and feeling so out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was so excited. Mm-hmm. And then we started having more regular meetings and being like, okay, what does our mandate look like? What is, mm. what, what are we really trying to do here? What kind of space are we trying to carve out at McGill? Yeah. Um, and a lot of it was honestly just like feeling the sense of relief for the first few months, just being like, mm holy crap, like, we finally built this space, and we're just gonna Mm -hmm. slowly expand it, and tell people about it, and, like, be really upfront, and very unapologetic about what we're trying to do, and slowly and surely, Mm -hmm. like, people just started coming through friends of friends, through hearing about us, I don't know, just through the grapevine, like, people just started showing up, and we started meeting new people that we wouldn't have met otherwise at McGill, Mm -hmm. And then even people from Concordia would start to come, like, Lara's from, she goes to Concordia, and, like, that was such, like, a trippy moment for me meeting Lara, because Lara's, like, half Taiwanese, too, and, like, I was just, like, how, like, I have wanted this for so long, and it's finally happening, and, like, like, every meeting, like, people would just be so emotional, like, oh my god, like, we feel so loved here, and so it was kind of like, well, we're not going to stop. Like, we're just going to keep figuring things out as we yeah. go. Like, what do we want? And it was just, mm-hmm. it became non-hierarchical uh, through just the nature of the people who joined. Like, we're mm-hmm. not about structure. We're about, okay, if you want something to happen, how can we all make that happen for you? How can right. we learn from you? And it's exactly what kind of we were talking about with East 303 is just being like, mm-hmm. let's tell each other stories. Let's, like, yeah. share memories. Like, let's build Mm -hmm. like a family in a way together where like we can all share things that we might not be able to share outside of this bubble um because of fear of judgment because of lack of space because of the whiteness at mcgill yeah so yeah that's how things started slowly people started writing mandates constitutions blah 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 Mm -hmm. started holding workshops and then when covid hit i think that's kind of when pack kind of took off more on like a public scale because a bunch of folks wrote um, a kind of statement on the anti-Asian racism in Montreal at the time because it was so traumatic for us and PAC kind of became this safe space that we could collectively vent about our fears Mm -hmm. about COVID Mm -hmm. and our fears about how we're feeling about our family and our family safety and like honestly like I don't know if I would have been able to make it through that time as well as I did without PAC and I think a lot of other members felt the same way and so when this statement kind of went public on our Facebook Mm -hmm. like it went viral like yeah it we went from like a page of like maybe like 50 people liking our stuff to like hundreds and hundreds of people liking that post and sharing it because obviously there was a yearning for that voice to stand up and be like this is how we've been feeling about the anti-asian racism in montreal slash all across Mm -hmm. turtle island across the world right now and like finding i think a lot of people found voice in pack and then that's kind of where we started doing um unpack events which are essentially events Mm -hmm. where it's just a community discussion um yeah and people started coming to those because yeah. I think people just felt really alone and really scared. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I think, the space that PAC has always been trying to fill is, like, how can we care and serve for our community mm-hmm. the way that it served us? Like, how can yeah. we find care in each other? And that's kind of how we've, we've gone from here. It's a very loose structure, um, but we have really strong, like, I think, like, foundation of, like, yeah, what we believe strong in. Yeah, strong yeah. ties community dies and everything so yep. is it also so it, it 
I mean, it came out of McGill, um, mm-hmm. uh, Montreal, but um, now you were saying like it's expanded, obviously like uh, online. But mm-hmm. are there like pack groups in other mm-hmm. cities, or I'm just yeah, okay. Not quite yet. I don't, I've never, I I haven't heard of pack groups in other cities, but honestly, like, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. if, like, a year from now, we talk again, and there's, like, Mm -hmm. a pack in Vancouver and a pack in Toronto, like, because I think the space that we've created is so unique um, in the Mm -hmm. way it's not hierarchical and not oppressive, um, and that it's queer friendly, and Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, like, it's for us, by us. That's always been kind of, like, the the statement piece for us um so yeah it is it is like it technically is out of jojage but Mm -hmm. um but it's not it's not rigid because most of our Mm -hmm. events are online so people join from everywhere right yeah which is pretty cool like that's one nice thing about the pandemic it's just Mm -hmm. allowed people who weren't coming to events or whatnot like who wanted to come like who couldn't because of whatever boundaries you know um, yeah now they can participate in these things yeah totally and I think that we're going to continue with like the virtual setup just because it makes sense so that we can include as many people that want to be included like when we had our unpack events like even a couple months ago there were people joining from like yeah all over turtle island um um, people from the states, all of the world too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah people cool. from like that are that went back home in Asia joining. Right. So yeah. I think we do want to keep some sort of like connection with the virtual world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we, I think that we do plan on having like in person hangouts. Um, yeah. for folks that are for in sure. Montreal, um, in Jojo. Because it's totally different. Yeah. yeah so that we can actually, happen. but like it's true. Like so many of us have made really good friends through Pack because. Mm. You know, we're in a space where we're mm-hmm. sharing really vulnerable things. And, like, yeah. I've seen people join PAC and then, like, I'll see them post on their Instagram stories, like, them hanging out with people they've met at PAC. And I'm like, Aww. that's why PAC started. Because yeah. we want to find people that we can identify with, that we can mm-hmm. feel safe around. And, like, building that community has literally always just been yeah. the most important thing for us. So yeah. I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And for me in terms of like success however that's measured we've reached it because we've, yeah, we've connected sure. you know asian youth radical asian yeah. youth and that's yeah that's what we're trying to do yeah uh yeah well and that's the thing i was like um just the way that we've connected i feel like i've known you almost for so long even though we haven't known each other that long you mm-hmm. know but it's just i guess because of whatever this the small connections we do have but then mm-hmm. the class and mm-hmm. then just the like-mindedness in terms mm-hmm. of community organizing mm-hmm. and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff you know I yeah, can just sure. imagine how PAC is like that space yeah like even more so right? yeah with exactly. more of people yeah. who are like us you know definitely yeah. and I think the great thing about PAC too is there's no like obligation like you don't join right and you don't have to come to everything. Like, come to what yeah. you feel like coming to. You mm-hmm. know, lead if you feel like leading. Step back if you feel like stepping back. Because I think that that space is so important, especially mm-hmm. for racialized youth, is to be like, yeah. the show up the way you are. And that is okay. Yeah. Because I think yeah. there's so many expectations for BIPOC youth mm-hmm. to constantly be well-spoken. To, like, yeah. agree to do things and agree to give free labor. And it's like... Yeah. In this yeah. space, you show up and you do what you can, and that's always yeah. going to be enough. And there's not yeah. enough spaces like that. Yeah. I've become yeah. caught up in so many situations, um, just as someone who is a community organizer, where it's kind of like, do you want to do this? Like, say yes mm-hmm. or no. Do you want to, like, lead this yeah. workshop? Do you want to, like, contribute to this? And it's like, there is mm-hmm. this feeling of obligation because it's yeah. like, well, this is an important cause, but then also being like, I... Do you I have am, the time? Yeah. Like, you know, do you have the energy? Yeah. Is it and paid? You know, like, exactly. are you being remunerated for, like, exactly. that all the work that you're doing? So yeah. I think we're also trying to carve out that space to be, like, yeah. show up as you are, and that's always yeah. going to be enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, like, um, when you, because I learned about PAC through you, through the class. Um, yeah, and, um, and Brie. 
who and also Brie, is in too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess, I mean, yeah, it, it hadn't been created that much early. Like, the class was 2020. Se- September 2020. Yeah. And so yeah. PAC had basically been created mm-hmm. a year before that. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, mm-hmm. I mean, part of me, like, in the moment, I was like, oh, my God, where has this been, like, through, like, all of my, like, has this existed the entire time I've been at McGill, but I'm only hearing about this now, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, but it hadn't, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, but it, it's exactly the kind of space that I had been looking for in my first, you know, first yeah. years at McGill, like, in 2018, oh, my yeah. God, no, 20, yeah, mm, I don't know 20, I feel like, I feel like yeah. both of our first year was 2017, like September oh, 2017, yeah. right? Because you were in yeah. Sejep. I did Sejep, yeah. Yeah, so oh, I yeah. think it would have been, tw- which is so weird so to crazy. think that oh, we went to the same school and we yeah. never met each other we because there's met. no exactly. spaces like that. Exactly, right? And like, I, I remember going to the fairs, the clubs, you know, and seeing like, all of the Asian clubs and being like, oh, I'm like, this is too much. This is too much. So like, yeah, navigating. I don't know the politics. Of, yeah. Like, you know, there's like, I think there was like the diaspora, like Cantonese club. And then there was the diaspora, like mainland China, like club. Yeah. And then there was the like yeah. mainland China club. And the, it was just like, oh my yeah. God. And there's definitely a lot of just like, <laughs> I remember going to those tables and being like, mm. hey, like, I'm this, this, and this, like, I'm interested mm-hmm. in joining, and the mm-hmm. people at the table half the time wouldn't be Asian. They would be like, oh, yeah, we're just in this club because we love Asian culture, and I would be like, oh, oh God, I don't, oh my God. no, no, thank <laughs> no, you, thanks. bye-bye, <laughs> like, I can't be here, um, oh or even okay. just, like, going For to me, the tables yeah. and just being mm-hmm. like, I don't even know, like, or them being like, yeah, we like go to the club every t- like together yeah. once a month, and I'm like, oh hell no. Yeah, nope. that's what I heard too. Yeah, it's a very club, club Asians, mm-hmm. <laughs> like actual like dancing club. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was not. Really... Yeah, they were also when I went up or like passed by the tables because I didn't even stop. I was just like I was going to stop, but then everyone was speaking either Mandarin or Cantonese, and I was like, I that's very intimidating. It's too much. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. So fair. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I hope that, I hope that uh, the next, like, upcoming year of, of mm-hmm. PAC, we'll, we'll see, we'll see new things and um, mm-hmm. we'll be s- serving the needs of, you know, whoever is joining, the new group that's joining, yeah. the old members who are coming up with new ideas. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just, we pick up where we leave off every time. Yeah. 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 Oh, <laughs> so cool. Um, um, I also have the raging Asian, raging, okay, raging or aging Asian game okay. too. With like, kind of, I was thinking like it's, it's not really a game. It's just like more discussion. Um, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. So do we that. could do that now. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, it's kind of like like I will like throw things or I I think I did do a PowerPoint did I do a PowerPoint but and then um like we can just talk about like whether you think these things are raging or are they aging Mm. um okay in the sense of like raging in whatever way you you like interpret interpret the term like mm-hmm. it can be like raging as in like trending or popular popular or like actual like rage like anger mm-hmm. frustration like you know yeah. um uh or aging yeah like like fading out fading out mm-hmm. kind of um or nostalgia loss mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. sometimes um okay so i i did I only have one slide of the PowerPoint. I was, I, I got distracted clearly. No worries. Um, I have like, I just wrote a list of the things. That sounds great. So the first one I was thinking was like zines because like you Mm -hmm. print for sticky rice and like magazines and stuff and just publishing and I don't know. And zines have been like all over the place. Yeah. um, You know, totally. But at the same time, like, are zines kind of fading out now with like 
Yeah. Especially with COVID, like online platforms and stuff yep. happening. Like pe- the, the paper trail of zines too isn't super like um, convenient always or yeah. like even environmental, environmentally friendly. So um, I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on zines and like, yeah, yeah. That's such a great question. I really, I love that <laughs> question because I have such a strong connection to writing and zines in general. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hmm, I think that I feel like it's both in some ways because I think mm-hmm. that in terms of publishing, I think in terms of being published on paper, that is aging. Like you do not have to be published on paper to yeah. get exposure, to connect with other Asians right. or other writers in general anymore there's so much self-publication these days and I admire Mm -hmm. it so much or just people who aren't even like classically trained as writers who are just writing because they care about the subject or because they love writing and I think that that is something that I admire so much um and I think that that's something Sticky Rice is trying to do Mm -hmm. too is like giving a platform that has like a decent following now to people who just Mm -hmm. want to write who are Asian who are Asian and queer who have things to say and I mm-hmm. think that that is why I admire Sticky Rice so much and continue to work with them is just mm-hmm. because the platform as itself is so important. Um, mm-hmm. But then in terms of v- zines, like physically making zines, um, mm-hmm. I love making zines. I've always made zines. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that is something that is changing too because there's like so many ways we can use zines as an educational tool or as, as a tool for self-expression. Mm-hmm. And we don't even mm-hmm. have to hand them out physically anymore. We can right. post it on Instagram. Yeah. We can make it a PDF and send it to whoever right. we want. So yeah. in that way, it's like raging for me. But in terms yeah. of like zines and magazines and feeling like, you know, because writing is very, it's gatekept. I think that that is fading mm, out. I think the sure. idea of yeah. like, you need to, you know, have an undergraduate degree in English and, yeah. you know, be a journalist for X, Y, Z years and then mm-hmm. maybe you'll have a chance to like have your opinions be heard. I think that's mm-hmm. bullshit. And I also think that's fading mm-hmm. out. And like mm-hmm. at this point with the amount of like, you know, one-to-one interaction or, you know, connections with community online, mm-hmm. if you put something out there and people love it, like they're going to, they're going to engage with it. And there doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like, there doesn't have to be a, a magazine. There doesn't have to be right this middle person who is publishing you publish yourself like you know like if you have valid things to say people are gonna love it and start a blog yeah start Start a a tumblr exactly tumblr tumblr Tumblr, like that idea of like writing stuff and blogging for your for you Mm -hmm. and your own community or whoever's listening like Mm -hmm. I remember that when I was a teenager like I love tumblr like it's still like it might not be on tumblr anymore but it's still there like it's just changing it's constantly changing and I think that people find so much community through just publishing their work online so I say Mm -hmm. I say that is definitely raging that is my answer yeah love it love Mm -hmm. it no it's so true the aspect like zines don't even have to be paper anymore like you you can make a zine online there are platforms for making zines that like you like flip through it right like online which is crazy it's awesome yeah um the next one okay this was something that i was looking into because i don't really know much about it but Mm -hmm. i've heard this term being thrown Mm -hmm. around it's called bubble tea activism Mm -hmm. and like i don't Mm -hmm. know if it's supposed to be like kind of condescending it's like like the youth like who like drink bubble tea and like asian youth who drink bubble tea who are also activists there was a movement called like yeah. milk tea alliance so yes. i i was like yeah reading about them and mm-hmm. um, basically like thailand hong kong and taiwan mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. um they created the like hashtag milk tea alliance mm-hmm. but i feel like it also kind of has this like diminishing mm-hmm. like like aspect to the term like i've i've heard it thrown around like oh that's just like bubble tea activism or like Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it's like well I think that there's two different ideas right I think that Mm -hmm. um I don't mean to cut you off but I feel like there's 
there's a milk tea like anti-china symbol um yeah which is like an, an alliance of young people who, who feel really frustrated with the ccp mm-hmm. that's one yeah. thing i feel like and then yeah. there's another thing which is like boba liberalism so yeah. that's that i think is valid in its own way because it's critiquing um it's critiquing almost like shallow activism that is rooted mm-hmm. entirely in identity. So mm-hmm. it's just about like, I guess like being frustrated, which is valid, but then using your identity to weaponize against other people or stopping at identity. It's like, mm-hmm. it's activism that is focusing entirely on your identity as an Asian person versus like, mm-hmm how we're creating solidarity with other BIPOC, for example, or how Mm -hmm. are we critiquing the politics within Asia um, rather than just being upset or protesting because of the way Asian people are being treated across Turtle Island, which is valid, but, like, Mm -hmm. I don't think you can stop at that point. You can't stop at identity politics. You have to step another foot forward and kind of be really critical of you know, okay, like, why are we being treated this way? What are the Mm -hmm. historical aspects of this oppression that we need to Mm -hmm. unpack to be connected together as Asians, to be connected with other BIPOC, to be connected with, you know, our ancestors, with the, our migration stories. And then how do we connect that with people who are recently landed immigrants today? Like we need to bridge Mm -hmm. all these gaps and we need to, you know like find commonality in our identities we can't just stop at like being like um stop Asian hate you know because that's not enough yeah like there was um I think it was the podcast I was listening to where these guys were talking about how like on tinder or like dating apps people have been like putting like black lives matter or like stop Asian hate like in the bios like Mm -hmm. where it's under like interests or hobbies Mm -hmm. and like they were taking issue with that because it's like that's just that should just be like fundamentally like mm-hmm. I don't know like what you I, I don't know like your belief or what it, like it shouldn't be a hobby like it mm-hmm. shouldn't be under hobbies and also like you gotta like stop Asian hate Black Lives Matter like indigenous like um like stop the pipeline you know like mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't like if you can only select one like that's not cool either because Mm -hmm. then you're like not acknowledging Mm -hmm. all the other Mm -hmm. issues and and, totally i Um. i feel like for me and this goes back to like easter three too when we discussed crazy rich asians when i think of like boba liberalism for me Mm -hmm. that's like the mentality that like if we're included then we're okay like oh there's this movie with like all asian cast like we've done it we've we're included now and it's like we're not really challenging what we're trying mm-hmm. to belong to at that point. Yeah. We're also not challenging, like, that movie in general is so problematic. Like, mm-hmm. thinking about yeah. why is the first all-Asian movie cast in Hollywood a movie called Crazy Rich Asians? Like, yeah. what does that perpetuate? How yeah. are we challenging yeah. the model yeah. minority myth? How yeah. are we challenging colorism mm-hmm. in the Asian community? Because that movie does yeah. not do a good job of representing like Asian people yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. It doesn't exactly. do a good job of representing queer people. It doesn't yeah. do a good job of representing different bodies. Like no, at the end of the of day, yeah. we need to be making our own categories and we yeah. need to be pushing these boundaries. We can't just be like, like okay, you, yeah. you know, we're belonging like, to these categories the under whiteness. Asian yeah. Movie. Yeah. Like, yeah and let's do better please yeah exactly (laughs) and I feel like that's where yeah I Mm. feel strongly against that like mentality of like boba liberalism like yeah proximity to that is not important yeah boba liberalism aging (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) exactly um yeah um but maybe the Milky Tea Alliance group, may, they, they sound raging, so. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I don't know enough about it, but the idea yeah. of, like, independence movements and, like, solidarity yeah. Um, yeah. between these types of identities and countries is, like, very important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
oh yeah they said they have like a meme war going on wow <laughs> i gotta check that out cool yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool group um okay so i the last one maybe mm-hmm. i guess yeah um or i don't yeah i was just thinking talking about like queering space and everything like this mm-hmm. and um i just brought up like tinder mm-hmm. and i don't know i was like dating mm-hmm. apps maybe that could mm-hmm. be a, a interesting one like are they raging or are they aging mm-hmm. it's hard because mm-hmm. like I'm thinking during the pandemic, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people were lonely, like not able to like date mm-hmm. or go out or connect. And mm-hmm. so um, we're, we're turning to like apps and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but then, yeah, there's something very like antiquated, like, like very um, dated. And I just like, yeah, just not inclusive, yes. not like diverse, yes. not like about dating apps. Totally. Right? Like, I think that's like, a thing yeah. that so many Asian folks have like complained about or like feel mm-hmm. feel frustrated about is mm-hmm. how fetishizing like dating apps are um mm-hmm. yeah. so I don't know that's a very I think it's nuanced I don't think I can pick either one because I think yeah. Yeah. I've heard of stories where like Asian folks who have had a really hard time meeting like other Asian partners have met through dating apps mm-hmm. and I think that's like such a wonderful important thing to like carve mm-hmm. those spaces out for like right. Asian relationships and finding Asian partners through mm-hmm. dating apps but then there's mm-hmm. also like that super insidious side of dating apps where it's like yeah. in the especially as a queer person like you know going mm-hmm. on going mm-hmm. on a dating app and seeing in the caption like no Asians like blah 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 right. but there's that yeah. and then there's also like that is definitely like a predominant thing mm-hmm. on things like grinder like for like mm-hmm. m- like gay men who are who are on dating apps um mm-hmm. having right, a really yeah. hard time with that um but then I, yeah. on the flip side as an asian femme like being fetishized mm-hmm. on dating apps it's like yeah, yeah this yeah. constant stream it's like are you only yeah yeah going out with me because yeah. i'm asian like yeah um, or like going yeah. out with someone and then realizing all of their mm-hmm ex-partners are were asian and it's like oh yeah. my god what yeah. am i getting myself into right yeah. now oh, no. so yeah. i feel like yeah. proceed with caution yeah. is how i would answer that question <laughs> i think that now that we're coming out of the pandemic i don't know like mm-hmm. i've never been like a huge advocate for dating apps just because i'm really awkward yeah. as a person so <laughs> i've never been great at them um yeah. but I think that in terms of, like, talking about dating apps and its intersections with, like, queerness and Asian, like, being Mm -hmm. Asian, I think it could go one of two ways. And I think it depends, Mm -hmm. like, how you use it and, like, the boundaries that you're kind of putting up for, like, the people that you're interacting with because it could Mm -hmm. be such a great place. Um, Yeah, because that's, yeah, I've heard of people, like, like, once again, on this other podcast that I listen to, like, people who are actively kind of trying to, like, they're like, okay, I'm gonna not date white yes. people right now. So, yes. like, that should be That's great. So that should important. be great. I, you know, like, yeah, you can like, if you're like making that active step, like, that's that's okay. That's different than like a fetish. Oh my you know, God. like, of course, for Asian people, you know, it's like, that's yeah, completely it's, different. It's different. It's very different. Um, so, like, I think there could be interesting ways to use dating apps in a way that, like, yeah, you can kind of like um not date white people yeah maybe. especially you like know, if but, you're in a predominantly yeah. white community or like yeah, your friend group yeah. is predominantly white and you're kind of reaching this point of being like I don't know what to do like I'm yeah. tired of dating white <laughs> right. people that is such a valid thought process yeah. to have yeah um I think that like yeah, yeah, dating yeah. other BIPOC is like it's so important also just like for your own mental mm-hmm. health and feeling like connected yeah. to another individual not saying that like yeah. you yeah. won't feel connected with another individual if they're white but like a lot of times connecting mm-hmm. with other BIPOC is like a very special thing it's very important you feel heard you have other shared experiences that mm-hmm. yeah even if they're not they're not the same experiences for at sure all, but they're like you might have similar stories. Exactly. Similar or just, like, be able to understand the place that someone's coming from in yeah, some sort of way. Right. Um, and I think yeah, that that's super sure. valid and important. And, like, yeah. 
if if that's what if if that's like what you're looking for and that your dating app is giving you that like go for it like that's that's awesome (laughs) I think that that's Mm -hmm. so great um but yeah just in terms of like being fetishized or like being gatekept Mm -hmm. out of certain spaces I think that that is like yeah something that I still don't know really the answer to but I think it's like about creating boundaries for the people you're interacting with and like being like oh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna engage with people like that or like how am I gonna deal with the after effects if someone fetishizes me like do I have like friends that I can talk about that stuff with Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah like are you opening yourself up to that stuff yeah Yeah. like um I almost feel like the the like platforms and the like algorithm Mm -hmm. hasn't really caught Mm -hmm. up to like maybe the intention I don't know like or the way that people are using Mm -hmm. it sometimes or 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 the needs maybe the Mm -hmm. way that's maybe like what people are looking Mm -hmm. for if this is like a newer I don't know because it's still like I remember I was on tinder for a little bit Mm -hmm. and just like it just seemed very dated Mm -hmm. it felt like because it's only like it's based on looks Mm -hmm. you know it seems really shallow Mm -hmm. like it's not really and then there's other ones you know there are other apps that like different versions of it but like yeah they're not much different you know Mm -hmm. it's so it just it doesn't seem like it like matches what people are actually yeah and I I think or like meeting I think that you bring up a really good point with that I think that I think that um I think dating apps are going to change a lot, especially after COVID. I think that um, in the next year, we're probably going to see a lot of changes and yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm here to, I'm here to see it. Let's, let's see what happens. (laughs) Let's see what happens. Like all those reality shows. Oh my God. Yeah. The Netflix, you know, like the dating, I think they're dating, oh, pods. They were like in pods and they don't see each Mm -hmm. other. I've never watched (laughs) that, but it sounds really interesting. It's, was pretty wild it came out like right like at the beginning or something of the Mm. pandemic and it was it was like too real for me I was like oh my god is this like we're in a pandemic Mm. it's never gonna end this is how dating is gonna go you're never gonna you're never gonna see the person you're just gonna hear their voice and you have to like get engaged or like peace out or like peace out like that's the way to go so funny (laughs) like oh my god yeah we'll see we'll see how COVID is for the next little bit and how that how that affects yeah. our dating lives <laughs> yeah yeah uh well thank you so much yeah. I mean I like that that's the last one that I have um, oh my god thanks for having me this was such a yeah, fun conversation so fun. to to yeah. have with you and it's also just yeah, nice to catch up after so, so long much. yeah honestly mm-hmm. yeah I love yeah. it Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. New episodes will be up every other Sunday. You can check them out on the Raging Asians website on WordPress or directly on Spotify. Before I go, I want to give thanks to the people who have helped me put this podcast together. Monica Batak for encouraging me to produce it for her class. My mom for her endless feedback. And Daniel Chu Castillo for showing me the ropes to podcast producing. The intro song you heard is originally by Aquafina called Cakewalk. And the cover art is from the Aya Anthology of Asian American Writers by Frank Chin, Jeffrey Paul Chan, Lawson Fusao, Inada, and Sean Wong from 1975. See you next week. And in the meantime, keep raging!